Hey, everyone. Before we jump into this talkback episode with Elliot Davis, I just want to remind you that Elliot's game, Project Echo, is in the last few hours of its crowdfunder campaign. Project Echo is a game of time travel and cosmic horror, a solo journaling game with a twist. It is a really, really, really cool game with some amazing people involved. Just going down the list, there's Sam Lee, who is the author of Anamnesis, another great solo TTRPG. They're writing a bonus tarot-based time travel mechanic that's going to be very cool. I'm very excited to check that out. The musician Behold is going to be doing an EP of original music inspired by the game. The game is being edited by Will Jobs, who is an amazing TTRPG creator in their own right. And the layout for the game is being done by me. If you like this show, or if you liked Elliot's last game, Something is Wrong with the Chickens, then I promise you this is something you will want to check out. So I'm going to play the trailer for the game right now, which features some of that original music I was talking about, as well as a voice you might recognize. And while it's playing, I want you to follow the link in the show notes and consider backing this awesome game. Thank you very much. I'm very excited for this game, and I want to see it in the world. And I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Thanks. Project Echo. A game of time travel and cosmic horror. A solo journaling game with a twist. You are an agent, nameless and dedicated, tasked with saving time itself from an all-consuming entity. Grab your planner, and don't forget your coin. You will discover anomalies signifying the decay of time. Evidence of the entity's destruction and influence, and pieces of yourself you had forgotten existed. In the end, will you destroy the entity? Do you dare question the agency? Can you find yourself? to my first dungeon playtest, the tabletop role-playing podcast where we put game designers through their paces as we build and run a one-shot of an in-progress game they're working on. Then we circle back around to discuss what went right, what went wrong, and how we can make that game even better. Over the last few weeks, you've heard me run the first ever session of my game, Schrodinger's Cats. And now I'm joined once again by Elliot Davis, who's going to help me break down the game tape and take this game from playtest to version two. Uh, Elliot, welcome back to the show. Hey, Brian. Always good to be back. I, um, I'm willing to give you back the host chair for this episode, I suppose. Oh, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Good to have you back. And in addition to Elliot helping me out, uh, immediately after the game that we played, I sat down with my three playtesters and got some of their immediate reactions to the game. So allow me to give them an introduction as well. But a few days ago. So please welcome back to the show, the cast of My First Dungeon Playtest, the lovable Brownie the Tabby, Abby Hepworth, the very smooth, smooth Rudy, Kevin Bauer. Hey, don't worry about it. And no adjective required, Steve Jobs, Jobs, Julia Schroeder. I didn't get that. Uh, Does that make sense? I'm sorry. (laughs) I didn't get that. I guess that's more for Siri. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. To me, that's my relationship with Apple. <laughs> I just really love, 
I didn't get that. Did you get that? <laughs> no, but do you guys get that for but real? like meta? Do you get that? Thanks for coming back. First question. Did you guys have fun? Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. It's very fun. We literally, we went on a whole darn journey. And, <laughs> that was wild. This was your, your first ever uh, role-playing game. Yeah. Uh, how'd, you, how'd you feel? Yeah. So I guess technically this could have been, uh, uh, this is how it always is. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought that was, I, that was so fun and a little bit nerve wracking. Yeah, Once we started that. getting into it, I'm like, I'm like not very good at making decisions. So whenever it came down to like, what do you do? I go, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's me in improv too, though. I don't know what to do. <laughs> so overall, I feel like the game went pretty well. Like it didn't blow up in my face. Yeah, I think it went well. I mean, it was fun. No doubt. Nobody could listen to that and not describe it as fun. And definitely the players had fun. So that's a win. Definitely the players had fun. And as we say on the show, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. But my worry as ever is, is that fun because we had a great group? Or is it because Mm. the document that was like presented to the players, presented to to the game master, gave them everything they needed? And as we were playing the game, I think it became clear that there were some areas where I gave players plenty of what they needed. I gave the GM, you know, myself plenty of what I needed. And then very quickly, I realized like areas where I could probably use more. Mm. So I think let's first start with character creation. Uh, And let's see what the cast thought about this process. As far as character creation, character creation we just did as like four random roll tables doing lives, doing cat breed, doing personality, and doing your quantum power. Did you feel like you, with those four items, have enough to like kind of know who your character was? Yeah, that was my favorite part, I think. Yeah. That was so fun. Yeah, and like finding out how we know each other and like what, uh, yeah, it was very like Mm -hmm. cool and fun. Yeah, and I think that was enough. I guess looking back, I don't know, maybe I'll have to think on it more, but yeah, I feel like that was enough to be like, oh, these are the types of decisions I might make what i think i didn't really decide for myself was like well it's probably more for me but how do i feel about my mom i think i really wasn't didn't make a choice of like (laughs) did we have a falling out too or (laughs) but but is she a good person like was she like a really attentive good mom who you're like i miss my mommy or is it like a i don't know mom was kind of a bitch and i don't know what she's up to (laughs) but yeah but thinking back actually i do think that was like a Oh, I was excited to, to, um, that, uh, uh, yeah, I, my answer is yes, that there was like enough. <laughs> cool. cool. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it was really fun. And it's always, um, we've played a couple of games where, where this has been the case. And if every time I just love it, where it's like, uh, going around in a circle and everybody gets to add their own bits or builds their own parts of like you saying how we know each other was really fun. And then like you getting to add in the fact that like the one who betrayed you was also her mom and um, just like adding all of those little parts. Cause I feel like I do very much um, like I get the pieces of my character and I come up with a thing and then somebody else says something and I'm like, Oh, we got to go off on a tangent. Like this is no longer going to be a good enough fit for this, but it's a really fun like way to um, not get stuck in your own head. And feel like, okay, I can fl- play and uh, move with whatever people are saying. <laughs> it's another cat noise behind us. What'd um, he do? Also, I had to get up earlier because jump. <laughs> there was a piece of wall on the floor that Roy found. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I do think the like the biggest help of any writing prompt, which is kind of like what this is, it's just like a writing prompt, is that it gives you walls within to operate. Yeah. And that informs so many things. Like, if this is true, then what? Totally. Mm-hmm. And once you have four if-then questions, it's like, oh, I can kind of extrapolate a lot of things about who this character is. Oh, my God. It's something, too, that, like, I mean, this is just like a basic improv note but i feel like would be helpful for you know if you don't have any kind of improv experience and you're doing any kind of a ttrpg D games stereotypically start off with that like everybody meets in a tavern and i feel like a lot of the times the characters don't necessarily know each other beforehand mm-hmm. but knowing that there is supposed to be a personal relationship between each one of these characters mm-hmm. and they have met before yeah like the improv note of like you have met this person before you have some kind of a relationship and with any of these outside things, like when you ask, like, who betrayed you, like trying to keep it inside of the group. Mm-hmm. In this example, I did not do that. I referred to a person that was not at the table. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but then I ripped you back in. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, in having the safety net for that, too, it's just, I don't know. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's great to have that constraint there because it's helpful. It's like the nets on the side of a trampoline. So mm-hmm. you can just yeah. focus on having fun on the trampoline. Just focus on bouncing. Yeah. So I think that conversation illustrated kind of both sides of what i'm feeling Mm. one was with those like kind of four questions that were asked in in our four roll tables people felt pretty supported in like what their character was but at the same time what i think all three of them called out as like one of their favorite aspects and one of the most helpful aspects was when i like asked their characters questions about their relationships to each other I was going to ask, was that because you're a good GM and you've done this a lot before? Or are you, did you codify that like as a ritual of character creation? Because sometimes games do both or sometimes games have that explicitly. So it's not explicitly in the rules. Like it's not a codified thing. But I think it definitely should be because it's something that I love mm. about like Fiasco, something I love about Wander Home, something I love about Kids on Bikes, Kids on Bikes, Ten Candles. Especially when we were talking to uh, Jay, uh, Jay Dragon about Wander Home. Jay was pretty clear that those characters don't really come alive until that question aspect happens. And I think that is very true with what we did. Unfortunately, that probably the most effective thing that I did in that game is not actually in the text of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, good news is you can add it. And I, and I think you should. And I think, like, you know, there's probably some instinct, maybe, like, as a designer, when you're making a short game like this, like a rules-like game, to not overwrite something like character creation but you know mm-hmm. i think that that it's worth doing people seem to really like that i think i've always had a good experience with players with that and it seems like with this group especially that was what they were the most into and it can be pretty simple i think i really came at this game when i started as a one-page rpg this was right after we had like played honey heist and we played something wrong with the chickens and it very quickly became larger and i've been i think i've been holding on to that like one-page mentality even though it's now mm. you know, 10 or 11 pages and maybe it just wants to be a little bit bigger, even if, you know, the mechanics could fit on, you know, the back of a note card mm-hmm. for the most part. But having those extra little tools that people can play with, A, would be something fun to write. And I think B, would be helpful to players and game masters. Yeah, yeah. Even if it's like, a, you know, it can be still very rules light, very no prep, take it to the table right away and be, you know, 10, 12, 15 pages, whatever you got to make it do. And, you know, once you're doing it that way, if you're feeling crazy, you could start throwing in something where it's like, do you want to play a Schrodinger's cat campaign and how you might kind of consider doing that, which like mm-hmm. one of the things I loved about your play test was that at the end I was like, oh, you could just like 
roll this right into another session with these characters. Like you created stakes and future villains like right away. It was great. Yeah, it had it had a good ending, but had enough like, oh, we could do some more funny stuff in this world. Mostly, I, I realized I posed the question of, you want you to lose your lives or have something worse happen to them? And I was like, oh, God, what, what, am, I, what am I about to do? <laughs> so I do think it had a very fun ending that did set up uh, a sequel game, mm. uh, which I would be more than happy to play once I figure out version two of these rules. Right. And remind me the four questions there, uh, breed. The four questions are your cat breed, your cat personality, which gives you your like actual mechanical power. Okay. Um, your quantum power, which is mostly flavor you can do, and then your number of lives. Okay. And the number of lives is important because that's how you, things you can spend to reroll dice. And um, did you remind me in the playtest roll on the quantum powers in initial character creation? Did you wait till they went into the liminality to roll on those? I ended up waiting until they went into the liminality because I felt like that felt more exciting. And I think that is something mm. I would probably put into the game. One of the problems i had with the play test was you know and you, you'll hear it in the in the audio is that we got like an hour or so into the game and we hadn't gotten to the liminality yet like we hadn't they didn't sure. have quantum powers yet um and i i've expressed in this podcast before that i sometimes have trouble with just like jumping into okay you guys know each other and you're in the thing and go like i right. kind of want that them traveling to coney island to meet heidi so i think the the other thing that I think, well, one of the other things I think the game text needs is that really strong starting point. Because mm-hmm. I think we provide great tools for the players, less so for the GM. Like the, the biggest thing the GM can hang their head on is like they know who the enemy is, they know where it is, and they have an ally that can help get them there. Mm-hmm. But where they're actually starting from is tougher. It almost feels like there's an opportunity here to do something like play through character creation, mm-hmm. you know, like that's like, and I can't think of any concrete examples of games that do this offhand right now. Maybe, maybe Wonder Home is the closest one, but like you did a few roles outside of the liminality yeah. on their way to Heidi's house. And I think maybe what you're saying is like that time maybe stretched longer than it should, but I wonder if you can create like what you said in, in that clip, like walls for the GM to operate within during character creation where it's like, here's like two to three scenes you should do while they're building their characters to like, A, explain the rules and B, you know, use it so they can like discover their characters. Like you could even have them like in a situation and then have them roll on their personality table and then like that dictates what they're doing how the situation how the scene how the situation goes like you could do a few like mini scenes like that then get you through character creation give you that prelude um prologue kind of stuff that you're looking for and then you can have like a real um base built just maybe maybe codify that yeah i do love playing through playing through character creation because i feel like you answer so many more questions by Mm. doing that because it's so much easier to like live it than to just think about it when I talked to the players immediately after the game, they also gave me another idea of a possible starting point. I will say, okay, when we first met Heidi, I very much the way you described her and then going into like a secret lab and like blonde hair and pigtails, I was like, oh my God, it's an adult Dee Dee from Dexter's Laboratory. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought it was. And then when you were like, already it was Heidi, I was like, oh, never mind. Nope, nope, never mind. Yeah, and I likened her to Erica Jane. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, 
I did love that. I thought <laughs> Heidi as a character was really weird and funny. Mm-hmm. And I feel like because she was so odd, it just really made it more fun than if it was like we had found that stereotypical like crazy cat lady it was a grandma or like it was like I think it was really wonderful that she was a real weirdo in all the best ways Mm -hmm. (laughs) I really just knew that I wanted to see someone in like pink Louis Vuittons with their feet out of a wardrobe for her was perfect are you trying to say Louboutin or Louis what like Vuitton I don't know what's the one at the red bottom (laughs) Louboutin. Sure. Our style, our style master over here <laughs> might trump you, but yeah, yeah. yeah. I just pretty, yeah. liked that it was a little bit of a like, it's Louboutin. She's, she's actually. Like, what is that brand? It's, I think it, <laughs> side note, I think it is crazy that there are two different like expensive brands yeah. that are so close in name. I'll be honest. I didn't until this very moment. No, I knew they, they were, were two different things. Like if I saw them written, but if someone said Louis Vuitton or Louboutin, I would kind you of. You wouldn't necessarily I think process psycho. which was which. I think it's psycho I, 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 that there are both. Someone needs to change well, their name. Well, because they're spelled. It's like they are. If yeah, you look Lewis at them visually, Vuitton. it's so like, different. Yes. But I did laugh and and uh, I wasn't going to ever say anything like in the moment because it didn't matter. But it was just funny to me every time you said it. It was just like a little bit slurred where I was like, what brand is he saying? <laughs> I'll be honest. I thought I was nailing it. Um, oh, I'm but, sorry. But, but actually, now I think it's a great character. I think it's a great character thing for her, where she is wearing knockoff yeah. Louboutins yes. that are Louis Vuittons. Louis Vuittons. <laughs> so my other thought, other than I need to learn uh, the difference between <laughs> Louboutin and Louis Vuitton, I've made that mistake. I've, I've got to be honest. I've made that. I've had that same razzing done to me about those two names and just kind of assuming they're the same but not the same. Yeah, totally I think with you. Th- that I at minimum knew that Louboutins are the red bottom shoes is like yeah. enough. I feel like yeah. I, I should get one point for that and then lose all the remaining points uh, for the confusion. <laughs> but I, I think that as a simple spot, I love the idea of playing through an intro and also having like the creation of Heidi kind of be mm. a part of like the game masters thing. Maybe even like rather than having an ally make like the Heidi character creation kind of more of a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that'd be some fun variety. While we were on that conversation, we did have to clear up one other piece of confusion uh, that Kevin was having during the game. Similar <laughs> brand confusion situation. When you said churros for the first time, I've never encountered those. And I was like, <gasps> huh, that was an interesting way to say churro. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And Do then, you know, I had a panic moment when I said it where I was like, we're at Coney Island. Like, they definitely have churros yeah. here. And then I That's was like, so I hope funny. that everyone here is cat they're the people. Little, they're the little s- sticks of Yes, it's meat. like sauce. Yeah, it looks, yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks yeah. like, like a mini go-gurt. Little go-gurt. Like Wait, yes. go-gurt. I, have, I have them in the cabinet. I'll show you later. Well, oh, yeah. Oh, we got to get one too. for, for uh, Toulouse. Oh, he would love that. Uh, but Julia said it too. And then that immediately took it into the headspace where it's like, I have been saying churro. <laughs> <laughs> That's so yes, funny. It's the authentic way to say churro is churro. <laughs> so if you were watching this, if you were listening to this and you thought we had no idea how to pronounce churro, I promise you we did. Or at least we claim to. Who knows if that's actually true? I did not know that the meat gogurts were called churros. Churros, yeah. Yeah. I, I figured out that they were some kind of cat treat in the in the context of listening, but I did not know that's what those specific meat gogurts were called. I just figured they were called meat gogurts. 
in hindsight, I should have put a little uh, tag in the episode, but you know, you live, you live and you learn. Like, that was neither here nor there, but it was just something funny I wanted to include. I feel like character creation and like the starting point are pretty easy problems to solve. I feel like most of them were yeah. kind of solved in the moment, and the rest can pretty easily be pulled out. The bigger question I have is about the dice mechanics. Sure. And when I talked to players, I think there were some things that were very clear. There were some things that just weren't. On that note, did the rolling of the dice, did like that make sense to you? Was that like an easy mechanic to understand? Yeah, for me, it was, especially when we got like directions for everything. But once we started like, okay, ones are bad, sixes are good, you can re-roll. Yeah, that felt natural. But I, uh, yeah, I agree that like, oh, we had a lot of chances, like if there were ones, that's one thing that extended it, like being able to re-roll. That ended up being pretty successful for us. In yeah, like, we had a pretty high yeah. success rate yeah. with mm-hmm. those chances. Um, I loved that it was a, a pile for all of us. And so like when I did something, I'm taking the whole group's mm-hmm. dice where it's, again, that like collaborative Ooh, yeah. thing. Whereas I feel like a lot of games, you're like, you have your, you have your dice. Own. There's consequences for okay. you. And like, yes, they all affect everybody, but it was very fun having a big pool of dice. And then also the number of times that we were like, well, like you roll two, you roll two, I'll roll two. You know, like that was just very cute and fun and and made it nice. I I am wondering if maybe that should get baked into it entirely. Like everyone has their own dice that like you can only affect like your dice or something. I I, I, I I like like the idea of rolling like a bunch of dice. I think rolling more dice is always fun. I do agree. I think it was fun when we decided that like we were all going to split up the dice so that we each got to do a little bit of the activity. Mm -hmm. Having the twist of like, but if I roll ones, like I only have my methods of fixing it. Yeah. uh, Versus like everybody having, I did, it was a fun again, like, collaborative but we each got to be our own individual within the group sort you know, of a thing i think think about that now that may actually be a good mechanic for the game of because right now i have it so that anyone can like change dice rolls of anyone else maybe it'd be fun to have if you roll all the dice only you can affect them if you spread them out everyone can affect their dice yes I like yeah, that. yeah yeah because yeah. it either, adds additional right? chance to it that like uh yeah it's just good yeah. And it defeats that like age old D and D issue of like if you're in a D and D group that's like six people, you do your turn, and then it's just like, oh boy, mm-hmm. like they wait, wait for everyone yeah. else. Yeah, and it's a fun kind of like equivalent to like the help action in D and D where you grant someone advantage, we, you grant them the ability to roll two d twenties and take the better of the two. If you guys, if like Kevin and Abby were doing a activity together or doing an action together by splitting the dice up you now have two abilities and two pools of lives to draw from. Like, you have a mm-hmm. better shot at doing something. Um, so that might be an interesting thing to add into the game. I kind of like that. I think this is exactly what I was hoping you would get from those group roles because I thought they were such good moments on the fly mm-hmm. in the in the playtest that I was like, yeah, you got to make this an official part of the rules. So I'm glad that, that you and, and the players came to that as well because I, I totally agree. It was a thing I just did in the moment as like a goof. And the second we did it, I was like, oh, everyone's like having a lot of fun with this. And it we, we kind of backed into something good in that what, one of the problems I'm seeing is that there's too many ways to reroll the dice. Like there's just there's just too much. Yeah. So yeah for yeah. a simple game, there's just too much. There needs to be less. 
But that splitting up the dice thing is like a very easy way for everyone to get involved without having to be like, all right, I'm going to spend a life to re-roll this and this and this. Just like, oh, I'll take two of the dice. You take three of the dice. We're responsible for our own stuff. Mm -hmm. And that allows characters to kind of like team up in fun ways. Like, okay, great. Brownie and Steve Jobs are trying to sneak into the candy factory. What are both you doing to like facilitate this? Right. It solves that problem of, like you said in that clip there, the help action. And also, like, to make another D&D equivalent, like, it solves the problem of, like, a group stealth check or something like that. You know, it's when you want the group to all be involved or, like, make sure that they all see how they all suffer the consequences and you want it to impact all of them. It's a great way to do that while keeping everybody involved. It is fun, too, because you can break up the dice pool however you want. So whoever narratively is doing the bulk of the work can get the bulk of the dice, but then is therefore also responsible for the bulk of the success or failure. Mm. So I think we backed into a really fun mechanic there. So I feel great about that. The one I feel less great about is the lives mechanic. So Mm -hmm. like being able to spend lives to like re-roll dice. I think it is incredibly easy for me to explain the main dice mechanic. If you have more sixes than ones, success. More ones than sixes, failure. Same amount, mixed success. Mm-hmm. Explaining the lives mechanic, especially because there's like two aspects of it. There's like your spent lives and spending your current life. It's just, it's too much. Right. And I think what I was trying to do with having like spent lives and like remaining lives and having like two different powers was try to prevent someone from getting disappointed if they have like less of this resource mm-hmm. because you're you're randomizing your number of lives. But maybe that's what it wants to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure because I because I do think one of the one of my favorite parts of the game was the the flashback mechanic, like reflecting on past lives and like drawing inspiration from that. Yeah, I think I agree that the flashback worked. What I struggled with listening was it didn't feel I didn't feel the push to use the past lives that much, or like I didn't feel yeah. the consequence, and I didn't feel the push simultaneously. You know, like and and remind me. What is the difference between using your past life and using one of your remaining lives? Using your past life, you can only re-roll non-ones or sixes. So you can roll two, three, four, five, but you can't okay. re-roll the ones or sixes. So you have okay. a... Basically, it prevents you from like grabbing anything you don't want and re-rolling it. Burning your current lives allows you to re-roll one of anything. So you could re-roll one ones. One die, yeah. Okay, okay. So it's I essentially feel... like uh, because you're spending a life rather than reflecting, it you get slightly more power from it. Like you could re-roll the ones as well. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, it's just it like... feels a little less powerful in practice, though. Like I get, yeah. I get the idea that you can re-roll the ones, um... and also like I think there are people who are narratively inclined to like spend their lives, but it's weird for me. Like there's there was a moment in the game when brownie abby's character is getting attacked by a dog like a dog's coming at her Mm -hmm. and she like goes like scratch his belly and i went to narrate that and i was like i don't really want to narrate like a violence yeah exactly and i don't really and and i I thought about this before we started the game too of i like i own two cats and like i can't even think about like them spending lives like that feels fucked up yeah and I, and I like it in a narrative sense and i think there are players who are down with that but i don't know if i want to like codify it well, I think it's a I think that there's a there's an opportunity here to like cut back on mechanics and mm-hmm. leave it as like part of character creation like you know you can still roll I don't remember the way you did it if it was 1d6 or 1d6 plus, plus 2. Yeah. You can still roll 1d6 plus 2 
And that is like a personality characteristic of the cat is like, uh, like that, that dictated the difference between like Brownie and Steve Jobs was how many lives they had, like right off the bat, that was part of their personality. Mm -hmm. But in terms of like keeping one of these mechanics, I think you probably just keep the flashback mechanic because then even if you rolled an eight, you still have a past life to call back on. You're not spending a resource. It's just like, it's just something you're doing, you know, and it's still narratively there, but then you don't have to worry about this idea of, uh, like a meta resource that you're worrying about in addition to the other mechanics of lives. Right. So that 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 would be my thought um, on probably is probably cut the spending life mechanic and keep the flashbacks and then just have the number be like a fun part of character creation. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the, the, the main dice mechanic works. I think simplifying the lives mechanic solves mm-hmm. a lot of this problem. So I think all of these are like, there's still problems, but they're like, we're on the border of fixing them. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think ultimately simplifying the lives, however you decide to do it, will be better. So I think of the three questions we've raised so far, the character creation, the kind of starting point, and the mechanics, we're close to close to an answer to a lot of those. There is a few sections that we just didn't really get any information because we didn't really get to try out the type of mechanics. And the first one is the collapsing the wave function mechanic. So in my case, if I spent the eight, and then I wanted to use my last life. Yeah. Well, Would I just be like a ghost cat who didn't get to play the rest of the game? <laughs> technically, your last life, um, you do an action that we didn't do in the game. I think it's the only rule we didn't really explore in the game called collapsing the wave function. And if you want to spend your last life to augment a dice roll, you instead just look in whatever's in the box, and you have to take that dice roll. Um, so if you're at like mid-game, like eight dice are in the box, you can choose to do that. But like, it's it's a it's a hail mary pass. It's either like massive game changing success or massive right life altering hmm. failure. Hmm. Interesting. Um, but we didn't get there. What would a character do if they knew they were part of a story? What would they say to the author that is pulling their strings? In Samantha Lee's solo RPG, Death of the Author, players take on the role of a character fighting for control over their narrative. Draw tarot cards and modify scene prompts to bend the story to your will. Each change, however, comes with a consequence, as the author may use your own words against you. Death of the Author is crowdfunding on Backerkit from May 14th to May 28th. You can find the project by searching Death of the Author Backer Kit in your search engine of choice. Fight the narrative. Defy your author. Little Wolves is a folktale TTRPG where players fill the fur of shape-shifting werewolves in a realm of fey and of magic called the Enchanted Forest. Players will craft physical masks that represent their characters and use them during play to shift between their wolf and their mortal forms. As they perform favors and complete quests, new marks are made on their masks that reflect the real physical changes that the werewolves undergo. The Enchanted Forest is deep 
and detailed with fey queens, courts, and all manner of denizen for your werewolves to meet. The crowdfunding campaign for Little Wolves launches May 14th. You can follow the campaign at bytes.rip slash littlewolves. That's B-Y-T-E-S dot R-I-P slash littlewolves. And you can check out the free demo and quick start at bytes.rip slash littledemo. Hey there, it's Elliot from the Many Sided Media team. In addition to playing and producing here on My First Dungeon, I'm also a game designer known for such games as Something is Wrong with the Chickens, a rules-like game of chickens, eldritch horror, and revenge. Project Echo, a solo time travel game played in the pages of a planner. And the upcoming Rom-Com Drama Bomb, a three-player game of meet-cutes and mayhem. If you like weird and unique games and want to bring something new to your table, head to moreblueberries.shop and use code MYFIRSTDUNGEON for 20% off your order. That's M-O-R-E-B-L-U-E-B-E-R-R-I-E-S dot shop. Thanks! So, there were two things we didn't really get to do. One was the collapsing the wave function mechanics. So no one ever got down to their last life and chose to open the box for this kind of, like, big doom or gloom moment. Mm -hmm. And part of that, I think, is because of the, like, lives mechanic being too complicated. Like, we were never Mm -hmm. really going to get there because no one was going to spend that many lives. There's, If everybody has nine lives, that's, like, nine times they can re-roll things. There's three players, 27. It's just, it's too much. Right, right. The other thing we didn't really get to do also involves the the box, which is Mm -hmm. still a part of the game I want to keep because I really like that aesthetically. But we didn't get to play with any of the other... Per cat personalities that gave you one of the powers that allowed you to like look inside the box mm. or adjust what's inside the box to kind of change the end game, uh, which is also probably the biggest problem that we had with this playtest. So the powers we didn't get to see were Cool Cat, which is when you make a roll, you may remove one die from the box at random, look at its result, and return it to the box, either changing the result or re-rolling it. Uh, so basically, you get to kind of like look in, see if there's you know, if there's a one, you re-roll it. If it's two, three, five, you try to get a six. If it's a six, you mm-hmm. leave it as is. And you're like slowly trying to change the the end game. Because at the end game, you're going to be opening up the box and seeing what's in there. Do you think that players will feel compelled to plan for the end game in that way? Or will they be disappointed they don't have a way to augment like their current roles relative to some of the other abilities? That is a question I had because I do think it's a certain type of player that wants to play that. And since we're rolling Mm. randomly, you may not be that type of player. And this power kind of comes at odds with the collapse in the wave function uh, mechanic. Because if someone decides to, they get to the end of their lives, they collapse the wave function, they look inside the box. Now all that hard work that someone did to like change the results for the end game is now being burned by someone who's choosing to look at the results early. Um, that's still yeah. good for that player that's like looking at the collapse wave function results. But yeah, it's it's definitely not as satisfying. And I think part of it was I wanted some way to interact with that box. But I don't know if this is necessarily the answer. That feels... Well, I mean, if you change up the lives in the way we just talked about, then 
you may remove collapsing the wave function in a certain way, in which case maybe that then isn't as odd, but at odds with anybody. But yeah, Mm -hmm. that totally does put that player in a weird position of like, I'm building all this up. Don't mess with it. You know? Right. I do think that I like the idea of collapsing the wave function. I think it's fun uh, thematically. Yeah. But it might be one of those mechanics that is just going to get left by the wayside because I don't think it's going to come into play that much. I don't think it really helps anything i think it's just like i think it could be something you do at like uh you know if you don't tie it to lives um you could do it like when the dice pool is like down to one die mm-hmm. you know that could be like a hail mary before you go into end game kind of thing i don't know the other two types of cats we didn't get to see were fat cat which is when you roll you may disregard one die in the dice pool when determining success or failure so basically you can just pull out a one or pull out a two three or something and the last one is uh, Scaredy Cat, which is whenever you fail a roll, only half the number of dice you would have lost are removed from the dice pool and placed in the box. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is also a power that's maybe less interesting because you don't get sure. to do anything with it. You just don't... When you screw up, it does. it's not bad. Oh, hi, cats. Hey, cats. Cats always know when you're making content. So here, this is something that I noticed when I was listening. And like... The Hellcat's power is to re-roll all the dice. Yeah. But you have to it's keep like way more powerful than everybody else, you know? Yeah. That's that's the one thing that occurred to me during it's like, man, I would really want to be a Hellcat if I was playing, or like I would be really jealous of the Hellcat. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if you've got to nerf the Hellcat a little bit or bring some of the others up to to be just as compelling. But that especially when Brownie had copycat and kept only copying the Hellcat ability, I don't even remember what Steve Jobs' cat ability was because I don't know that it came up. Steve Jobs, it, I think it came up once or twice, and it's essentially it allows you to do the the same effect of spending a life without having to spend a life. So mm-hmm. it's when you roll, you may re-roll one die in the dice pool. It's neither a one nor a six. You must keep the new result. You can do this without spending a life. So it basically gives you a freebie yeah. life. Still doesn't feel as good as, as it's the not. Hellcat to me. It's definitely <laughs> not. Yeah, I, I think there were a few good powers. I think I had like three or four. And then there were two that I was like, I, I'm come, trying to come up with something. And I mm. think... Going back to the drawing board and that a little bit and finding a few other good things will be helpful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they've got to be, you know, everybody probably can only affect two or three dice. You know, nobody Uh gets the whole pool for their personality. Um, But, you know, you can crunch the numbers on that and and, uh, try another play test. One question I had for you, and this connects to all of this, these dice questions, or maybe I'm getting ahead of things, is how did you feel about the size of the the dice pool broadly? So the size of the dice pool, I thought, I've got mixed, mixed feelings about. I like that it was, we had four things that you roll for, everyone gets four dice, four dice per player. Like it felt like that was a good number. We did get down to only a few dice left by the end, but ultimately this kind of comes into a, what I think is the biggest problem with this game, and I think it's like a big gaping hole in the game, and that is the end game. Mm. The thing that I really liked was at the very end when you remove the die from the box and then get to assign happy or sad successes or failures to any given thing hello if you hear footsteps and things <laughs> getting knocked on it's because my cat bart harley jarvis 
has decided to jump on the table where we're recording. So Hi, now he's going Bart. down. Oh, sweetie. Pie. Been imprisoned in the box for too long. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah so the, the, the way the game is written is you're supposed to kind of get, when you get all the dice into the box, that's like when you activate the end game. And usually like in, in my head, like when I was designing it, that would kind of start like when the ball was going crazy, when you were still in the lab, essentially. Hmm. So you'd be pulling out the successes and failures oh. to narrate the ending rather than narrating an epilogue. Got yeah, it, got okay. it, got it. But we kind of like got to a point and I was like, well, I'm not going to just keep having them roll things until we happen to get to the end of the box. Right. Um, so that's yeah. an interesting thing for me to try to figure out because I do kind of want the game to end by everything going in the box yeah. and then we consult the box. Does that... It answers, is the cat, is Schrodinger's cat alive or dead? Yeah, it, it kind of fits into the kind of like the quantum mechanical theme of, yeah. of the game. So figuring out what that mechanic is will be interesting. And maybe I take it like a, you know, 10 candles way. Maybe I try something with, maybe it's just less dice. Maybe it's a different dice pool mechanic. So I think the number of dice feels, I, I, I don't know how to answer it yet. Because mm-hmm. what I wanted for this game, what, what I really thought, the end game is going to be is the dice slowly disappear in the same way that it does in 10 candles. And then you find the like final result of the game very much in the same way you do with fiasco where everyone gets to like narrate a success or a failure. Mm. And I thought that like keeping this, you know, box secret fit thematically with like Schrodinger's cats. It was like a very fun, you know, fun on a, on a, you know, logical level or on a creative level. But there were two problems. So one is, unlike 10 Candles, we're not losing a die every scene. We're losing a die every failure. And that just comes down to luck. Like, there's no actual, like, time limit on it in the same way that 10 Candles has a pretty predictable length to it. And so what happened was, for us, like, we got to the end of the story well before we got to the end of the dice. Yeah, I think that, um, well, I think that's a function of a couple of things. I think that on the one hand, what we were just talking about is that I think you gave him a little too many abilities to avoid failure. Yeah. I felt I definitely felt like that, especially in the last scene, that there was just like they were they were too too able to avoid consequence in that yeah. last fight. And like it was still a great last fight, don't get me wrong. But I think maybe maybe introducing some sort of limits to I don't know, when there's two or three dice left, or maybe when there's three dice left, like you can't modify the dice rolls or something because mm-hmm. that means we're like heading towards the end game or it's just like making it so that you can use your cat ability or life thing but not both there was one little mechanic that i immediately knew i wanted to add and and i did add in the later game and that's we got to the point later on where there were mixed we had a lot of mixed successes with no ones or sixes and as written it's a mixed success, you remove half the dice, round it down, and put them in the box. So if there are no ones and sixes, you remove nothing. So it's it's a mixed success, but the game doesn't progress in that way. So mm. having that be you automatically remove one die is helpful. Because like one of my you know edge cases is you get down to one die, great. You could be rolling one die forever, you mm-hmm. know, before you get either a, a one before you get right. a one. Whereas if you're down to one die and you have to roll a six. That's different because then every yeah. every other option goes in the box. So I think that that's smart is a, is a quick way to speed up the game. And wait, how many dice was it in the pool? It was twelve dice. It was four dice per player, so twelve dice. I mean, if you just want to cut the pool, you've got 
the very thematic nine, nine sitting right there. So it's probably got to be nine. That feels like the the obvious thematic answer. And if if we cut out the idea of rolling for lives and rather have that be a choice thing, then we're mm-hmm. s- then I still get my little like bonus designer thing of you have three dice, you roll for three stats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's still, and maybe you know what? Maybe that's the other thing I do. It's each of those three stats, rather than having six options, it has three options. It's one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five, six. Right. If you have three players, I mean, then you might have. Uh, yeah, the second you know, I get four, four players, or five that or they yeah. fuck them up, and it, you know, it ruins it. <laughs> it can't all line up um, in the beautiful, you know, math painting that you want to create. No, but I, but boy, do I want it to. <laughs> so that's the the first problem with with the end game is that. There was no way to actually ensure that we get to it before the story ends. So what we did was we kind of used it as like an epilogue device. Which still was good. Which still I, was good. I will just say that. I will just say that as an epilogue device, I thought it was a really good one. And if you wanted to keep it an epilogue device, that's not necessarily a bad thing either. Like because I thought it worked really well right. the way you did it. The experience I want to avoid is what we had at the very end where we got to the end of the story and it was kind of like, okay, I guess we roll the rest of the dice in the box and see what happens. Because then it feels like, well, why don't we just keep the dice out for the whole game and just roll them all at the end? So I still want to get to the end of the game and have all the dice in the box. It's just figuring out how to do that. But then the the other you know problem was, and this is something I always knew could happen, was we open up the box, we pull out the dice. There's only two ones or sixes mm. so now we're only narrating like two things that happen i don't know it it, it wasn't as satisfying as i wanted it to be mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on so many levels like the idea of the box and having the game like end with the box is great like i like i the think I- it i don't, don't lose it don't cut it i don't want like, to give it, up but on it's it. like because i think there's something really fun and good there there's literally books out there that call that are called like don't save the cat or whatever. Like, right. great. like you're supposed to kill your darlings. And the, and I don't, I don't want to throw the baby. Oh, in the I think that water. book's called Save the Cat. Oh, it's called Save the Cat. Oh, <laughs> shit. You're right. Okay, so I've got to save the box. Okay, never mind. We're back. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It it it, it fits thematically, but it, it didn't. That was the biggest lacking in this game, I think. I mean, maybe you do something like this where... If you treat if you treat it as an epilogue, although I still think, and because maybe what you, what your instinct is is that as an ending, maybe it won't shine in the way you want it to. Like it won't create that like action montage in as effective a way as just rolling as the game has you rolling. Like maybe yeah. it's the sort of thing where once you have the box, then you treat it as an epilogue, and every player gets the chance to, you know, like shake up the box, open the lid, and then based on that mm. result for them, they do some kind of epilogue about their specific cat, um, and sure. then they close the box and pass it along. Then it's like, then that feels like a real epilogue epilogue kind of thing, and then they get that, each person gets their own version of looking in the box and seeing how their story, like, ends. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I was also just thinking, because we kind of talked about the collapsing the wave function device probably not where like that i feel like that probably is going to get cut i like the name because it has to do with you know shorter yeah, yeah. cat and stuff but maybe i kind of combined that with the hellcat power so now hellcat power gets nerfed like no one gets that power exclusively but everyone has an option to kind of do that as like a free-for-all once per game or something mm. maybe the lives mechanic is you can only ever re-roll one die so you only ever have the ability to scoot things a little bit mm-hmm 
And then if you want to, if you want to like collapse the wave function, great, big swing either way, you look inside the box and whatever the result is in there, that's what you get. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I think I understand. Essentially, like my thought is if you roll two ones and a six, great, you can reroll one die to try to get something. Right. If you roll four ones and no sixes, there's no way you could possibly succeed from that. So you have to take drastic action by taking what's ever in the box. Mm, mm-hmm. So maybe that's it. Yeah, maybe bring the box in through more throughout. Yeah, kind of yeah, have yeah, it yeah. be its own like device throughout the game. I mean, that could be, you know, that could replace this current lives, past lives dynamic that you were talking about being too complicated yeah. like it could be consulting your past life could be looking in the box i don't know yeah i don't know there's something there because it that mechanic definitely needs to be simplified this mechanic needs to be overhauled this mechanic needs to be nerfed the solution is likely an elegant thing where it's all of them can be fixed by one thing it's just mm-hmm. finding that one thing that brings it all together and I think the box is probably tied to that because I think the box is a really interesting thing that should not be cut. I feel strongly about that. Even though I don't have the solution, I feel strongly the box should not be cut. I agree. I think it's got to stay. But this is what happens when you try to take the best parts of Honey Heist and Ten Candles and Fiasco and put them all into one. Some mm-hmm. of them play together nice and some of them don't. And we're, we're seeing where those friction points are right now. But hopefully... Iron out that friction version two comes out. Everyone's like, wow, this is great and original when it's like, no, it's just made of other component parts. That's creativity. Yeah. You know, innovation is just plagiarism with style. When I was talking with the cast right before we stopped recording, Kevin actually had a question for me. Brian, real quick before you stop recording, I have a question. Yeah. You, this is a game you designed. How did it feel to have it run? Yeah. What did you think? It felt good. It it was really fun. Uh, I did realize about half what we were like an hour and a half into recording. I was like, they need to get in the liminality soon. <laughs> we got to give them their cat powers. No, super fun. Super uh, great group. When I threw stuff out at you, you were down to like take it and run with it. When you threw stuff at me, it was always like fun stuff I could build on, which makes honestly like any game you ever run is made significantly easier by players who are like game to play. Uh, and you guys were very much game to play, which was great. It uh, was and so a real boom. fun. It was very cool playing with... All of you guys. Man, that I'm was so really glad. cool. Thank I you so much it. for joining us. Oh my god. On your very first tabletop role yes! playing experience. Yeah. Truly. And what what an honor it is to be playing your game. <laughs> it's uh only downhill from here, I'll tell you. They, it's it's <laughs> a real minefield out there. Yeah. This is the peak. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. you'll have many experiences after this, they'll never yeah. be as good. No. I apologize. <laughs> so ultimately, as ever on this show. If you're having fun, you're already doing it right. I had fun. I think the players had fun. Elliot, did you have fun listening? Yeah, I did, man. And that's, I mean, that clip is is like, that's the dream when you're designing a game is getting to, is getting to hear people that, even if you weren't there when they played it, but getting to hear that people played it and they had fun. And also how cool that you got to show your friend tabletop role-playing games through one you designed. That's great. I mean... It was worth it for that, even if you, like, decided to abandon this game and throw it in the trash, which I know you won't. But, like, that's the good stuff right there, that clip. And, I mean, this is very much the reason why... I I don't want to get too, like, you know, out there, but for anyone who's thinking about doing some of these things, 
just fucking do it. Like something good is going to come out of it. There are lots of problems with this game because I've had to spend like, you know, 20, 30 hours listening over and over to the playtest. I am crushingly, painstakingly aware of every slip of the tongue that I made, every mechanical error that was in the game, every time that we weren't paying attention. There was some th- something rattling over there that I can't get out of the mix. I see all the mistakes, but someone like Julia, who's never played before, now has played. Like, that's something good that's come out of it. Hopefully this game, in the version 2, kind of like, I'm able to fix those those errors and those incongruities and kind of bring this together to a cohesive thing, because especially when I was editing this this gameplay together, a lot of the times when I do the sound design, I can very quickly, like, kind of nail down on, like, a theme. Like, the, the music kind of all has one tone to it, and the sound design has one tone to it, and it feels cohesive. For this one, I didn't quite have that. Like, it, it is a little bit disjointed, or at least for me. It may not appear that way to others, but for me, I was like, I don't know what this is supposed to sound like. I think because I didn't have a super clear idea of the game. Mm-hmm. But now, after having played it, after having listened back to it for 10, 20, 30, 35 hours, I now have a much clearer idea of what it is, what it wants to be. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, the next time I have to, like, you know, ascribe a musical identity to this game, I'll have a much clearer idea of what it is. And hopefully, the next time it's out, you know, in the world, it's someone else running the game with players who aren't me, who have never met me, and they're able to have just as good a time as we did with just what is on the page. And that's really the goal here. That's the next big test. Gotta have somebody else run it. See if they can see how it runs when you're not in the driver's seat. That's the most terrifying test. I don't want that test. It's a bad test. We'll do it. Uh, well, until then. I'm just super excited that uh, you did this. And also, it's super brave to put it out, out in the world, the playtest of your game. So I think this is a super helpful exercise for yourself as a designer and probably for other people listening, you know? This is part of the process. You know, I was raised Catholic, so self-flagellation is kind of just in my blood. <laughs> so, you know, and honestly, like, it's a good way to get it out there. Now that it's out there, great. Everyone knows the worst it can be. And the worst it could be was still pretty good. Was so still let's, pretty you know, good. Keep improving, keep iterating, and hopefully you'll be seeing this game in your friendly local gaming store uh, sometime soon. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. And that is all for this episode of My First Dungeon Playtest. Thanks so much to all of the players who played in this game, Kevin, Julia, and Abby. And Elliot, do you want to tell the people where they can find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at MoreBloobs. It's like blueberries, but if you cut off the Aries and added an S. Um, you can find me on itch.io, at moreblueberries.itch.io. Project Echo is on Crowdfunder. I think for maybe 12 more hours once this comes out, 24 more hours, something like that. Go <laughs> support it. Go. Go right now. If you're listening to this, it may already be too late. Go find it. May it may already be too late. And that's okay. You will not regret it. Project Echo is extremely fun and you should absolutely check it out. And if you want to follow this show, you can find us on Twitter at My First Dungeon. And if you want to keep up to date with all the stuff that is going on with this show, and other stuff that Elliot and I are working on, games and writing and things, you should check out our newsletter, The 20-Sided Newsletter. In it, we have extended interviews with creators, we have our own thoughts on game design, and this is where you'll be able to find the next version of Schrodinger's Cats, 
absolutely for free in a future issue. Probably not this next issue, but maybe the issue after that. Uh, I'm gonna take a little bit of time to really figure it out. So you can check that out right now. You can follow the link in the description or you can go to 20sidednewsletter.substack.com. And last but not least, if you like the show, the very best thing you can do right now is go to your podcast player, give us a rating, leave us a review. I swear to God, it really does help more people find the show. Makes us feel all warm and fuzzy inside. And only if just, it's a good one. Only if it's a good one. Yeah, if it's a bad review. Don't put a bad one. I'll have some, I'll feel some kind of way about it, but it's not warm and it's not fuzzy and it's, it's bad. We don't cold want and that. Slimy. Yeah. Wet and slimy. Yeah. Cold, cold mm-hmm. and slimy. We don't want that. No. But until next time, as always, just remember if you're having fun, you're already doing it right. Bye, everybody. Bye bye. At least, I assume that you do, as you've listened to every minute of this episode. And yet you haven't already left us a five-star review? Ugh. Well, what are you waiting for? Get over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave that review now. It's always wonderful to hear words from our adoring fans. Getting more ratings helps people find the show and love it as well. And we love to hear your nice words. So head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and leave us that five-star review. Ta-ta!